0: Erto, how are you doing? Pretty good.
1: Afternoon. Welcome to another episode of Behind the Rail. And uh, I'm Ken Esten, and always, you know, we have our esteemed uh, host over here, Airtel Jackson. So how's everything okay. going on your side, Erto? Uh Pretty pretty good
0: over here. Uh, I'm just having a problem with my chickens.
1: Oh, yeah? <laughs> you should probably get that looked at.
0: Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, chickens are not Everything's chickens are just kind of a docile Little bird You know, and, and if you feel sorry to eat them it, You know, I know Somebody who had a big a big chicken farm I mean, like Thousands of chickens and they were all free range But they were in a, like a big warehouse But they could run all over they wanted Wherever they could go Yeah. you go into that place And it was so disgustingly Stinking yeah yeah, yeah. It, it smelled so bad you'd never want to eat one of those birds and the fact that and then they would peck each other and that you have to pull up the dead birds and the partial birds and the mm-hmm. you know and he he started this kind of late in life and he thought it'd be easy and he said it was so hard and he hated the birds mm-hmm. and this is funny because you you and i have talked about your birds and i never thought to mention this before that he um he stopped eating chicken. He couldn't eat chicken anymore. Yeah. He just found him so disgusting that he couldn't eat him anymore. He could eat he could eat um um ham and bacon because everything's pigs are disgusting, but they're not that disgusting. Yeah. They're kind of clean compared to, to these birds. Yeah. And and, and you're telling me the story about your bird that attacks you. That you have a rooster that attacks you, goes to this juggler. Yeah. You know, I was like, wow. He's an asshole
1: yeah you know, I used to be a vegetarian, but then like when these birds started acting up, now I eat chicken right in front of them, you know, and just to kind of oh, like yeah, a little bit of a but, warning I set the barbecue up right next to their chicken run, you know, just yeah so I don't know who's me. who's the boss yeah, you know, yeah. You know. well you know if they step out of line, you know it's it's the grill for them, you know.
0: But I th- I think it's great that you raise chickens. I mean I mean you you're not in a in a rural area and you're raising all these chickens. It's is pretty interesting. But Yeah, but I mean, you know
1: what's crazy is um you know I gave cuz I have a lot, you know, so I had to give some away and I gave my next door neighbor has a bunch of chickens and he lets them free range like you'll see them wandering around in the street and everything like Oh, really? Wow. Yeah, yeah, it's like crazy. Like they're on other people's lawns and everything just walking yeah. around. And so I gave him some birds and then he had a friend that I gave some birds to. And, um, then there's, so he has roosters, he has chickens. So that's right behind my house over that way. And then on the other side of the street, there's, um, they have a bunch of birds over there. And then if you go a block up, there's, they have a bunch of roosters and, you know, a bunch of chickens and then a couple of houses in the back where I don't, I don't know where they are. You can just hear their birds always going off. So everybody out here has Birds. It's kinda of
0: like the thing to That's do. That's interesting. I wonder why so many people are raising chickens. Uh,
1: you know, I actually my wife was saying that um she saw on Nextdoor, which is that app where people gossip about what goes on in your neighborhood, that basically since the pandemic, you know, most people have kind of like started hoarding birds and you know, because mm-hmm. the food prices are going up and you know so for,
0: primarily for the eggs not for the birds themselves right
1: well i mean maybe they aren't but you know like with mine i'm gonna you know i, I put a sign out there like just step out of line you know just do it one more time yeah. and you guys are going to be finding out yeah you know i guess i don't know if like everybody harvests their birds for
0: meat but i, I have a ton of eggs you know that was primarily my yeah. my reason no i mean i mean it's i just think that's really great because i you i just wouldn't expect you to be a chicken farmer no me neither it's like with all things you've done and all things you do and you have a master's degree in, in, in screenwriting and, and you're raising chicken. It's
1: just- it started so out with really worms. Yeah. Now they kind of raise themselves. I don't teach them too much, you know. The worms or the chicken? Uh, well, the worms are like 24 seven all, all the time on their own. I just feed them and, uh-huh. but I don't know. I got like really into like vermiculture for a while. And then like, I was really into permaculture, vermiculture any kind of culture, I guess, except for like cheese and stuff like that. But yeah, I was really into like urban farming, you know, like that's always been kind of like a, a strong interest it's, of mine. It's
0: interesting. Wow. It's really interesting. So the closest I come to farming is going to the market and picking out stuff out of the produce section.
1: Yeah. You know, that works. That's my farming. Dude, you know, it's crazy. Okay. So like I, to feed my chickens, there's a store, to, there's a few different stores where I go and I, I get their old produce but their old produce is like a day old or like maybe they'll have like a bag of pears and one of them's bruised and they throw all this stuff in the garbage. But if I, and I tell them like, Oh yeah, I'm feeding my chickens with it. And they're like, Oh cool. Take all this old produce. So they're happy to give it to me if I feed my chickens with it. But if I went up there and I was like, I'm starving, I don't have any food. They, you know, they'd be like beating, get (laughs) out of here. You know what I mean? What do you want? You want to eat this food? That's disgusting. You know, it's like, I don't know. It's so weird. I think that's just bizarre that they give it to my chickens, but they wouldn't give it to me.
0: Well, I always thought, because my image of chickens is, is completely different than, than, than the hostile environment you described to me. Yeah, and, and they're from, scary. And that, that person I knew who had the um, these big warehouses, like just big coops, and yeah. they all ran around. I never saw it. He just told me about it. He just said, it is the most disgusting thing. You will, Once you've been around it, you will stop eating chickens.
1: Mine are free range, so they're not in the coop very much, you know, like they get out early. Oh, they're they're completely outside. Yeah, you know what's awesome is at night, they just take themselves back into the coop. Like once I put them in the coop a couple of nights, so like when I first got the, I had to buy like some hens because I have, I had two roosters and I only had one hen at the time. I originally had two, but one of them died. And then, um, so then it's like two roosters on one hen, it's just too much for that one hen. So I bought some other hens. And they would just, like, hide up in the trees at night. And so I had to climb up in the trees every night, wow. pick them out of the trees, put them in the coop. I didn't
0: know they could fly up
1: in the trees. I thought they were flightless birds. No, no, no. These, I have, we have, like, tall fences. And these things, we were like, oh, like, because we, we didn't know, like, how, how high they could fly. I'd never dealt with this particular breed. They're phoenix. They're, like, purebred phoenix. So we're like trying to corner them, you know, like, Oh, get them close to the fence. We'll corner them. Boom. They just yeah. jump over, you know, so then they're running down the street you know, and I got to go oh, outside man. and chase them down the street. And it's this huge fiasco, you know, my neighbors, that's how I met my neighbors and, you know, I found out about their chickens because they like helped me like wrangle the chickens together, but they fly crazy high. The other day, actually I walked out there because one of the hens was making all kinds of noise and I go out there and she's on top of the coop, just sitting there squawking away, you know, for whatever reason, but. Yeah, these ones can fly and I don't clip their wings, you know, but most of the time they just kind of hang out on the ground, you know, the yard board. Yeah. yeah. Wow.
2: Yeah.
1: They're, they're pretty cool. Except for my one, my one rooster squire He's a real dick, you know? Yeah. Well, there's always one. Yeah. You know, he's he's um, a top dog, you know, it's like one of those, you probably met those kind of people in the industry, you know, or yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because, because they're a lot like, Birds will, even chickens—they're a lot like us. You know, you put us in a coop, a lot of us together, and we'll yeah. tear each other apart. And- oh yeah,
1: it's like New York in there. You know what I mean?
0: They're yeah. like all
1: mad at each other.
0: Yeah, for sure. It's amazing. It's amazing. But I, I love eggs and I love chicken, but I don't. I know. And you to get too many alpha eating. males,
1: you know. You get too many alpha males like in one space, and they're gonna like, you know, they're gonna go at it, you know, or like
0: they kill each other to get the for the hands They're combative,
1: but you know, there's definitely a, you know, they say a pecking order. So Squire, he's like my biggest rooster, and he's like a classic like rooster rooster. He has like the tail and the comb and everything, and he's really he regulates. I mean, he looks out for the hawks. And he's, you know, this is he's. he's He's actually a good rooster. We don't necessarily see eye to eye. I don't know for what reason he kind of thinks I'm a threat, but um, he takes well, care of a, all the. I, hands. He's
0: a Republican, I believe, right?
1: Uh, yeah, I don't know what his deal <laughs> is. You know, he's Texas bed and born and bred. You know, so who yeah. knows? But you know, he go he the because I now I have a few roosters. So I but I originally had two, and um, there's one rooster that kind of I call him Billy because you know he's named after Billy Idol. He's kind of a more of a a rocker looking bird mm-hmm. and the hens don't really want to mate with him as much they want to mate with squire who's more of the alpha male probably Tony soprano kind of
0: yeah uh, you know and he looks I mean? he's got the classic look too classic
1: right? look yeah in um but all the different breeds it doesn't matter what breed of yeah. chicken it is oh. they only want to mate with him wow. but he's much more protective and he's he's bigger and so like he'll stand he stands and watches things while they eat like right at his feet yeah yeah and then and then like wow. he keeps an eye out for the hawks and
0: everything and they're where all free did you have a, range. a hawk comes where did you get yeah. hawks
1: he makes like weird noises and then they duck under the trees you know so i have like some i have a couple of trees that are like they're almost like giant bushes they're really big so they you know they hang out under there and and then once the hawk leaves but we have a lot of trees in my neighborhood it's a lot of old growth trees so um, it's kind of park like actually but you'll hear all the birds all around the neighborhoods just kind of squawking going crazy and then that's how i know um, there's the a hawks hawker. in the
0: area mm-hmm.
1: yeah hawks are crows you know wow. any any big and they so, so aren't really do or crows aren't really a hawk predatory. grab a
0: chicken and take it
1: yeah i mean they could take a bird i mean a, a cat or whatever you know they're oh, they're pretty, right. but my my rooster he's probably like i mean he's a big rooster you know he's a yeah. he's big and my my younger brother who's he's he comes over and just wrangles him up like no big deal but i don't think he looks my rooster doesn't treat my wife or or my brothers, you know, the same way he treats me. He's always like, as soon as I turn my back, he's trying to like come after me and attack me. He's (laughs) real vindictive. I don't know what his deal is. It's like, I don't know. It's like you ever, you ever been in like, well, you've been in like a corporate atmosphere, you know what I mean? Where it's like, you can't, can't really let your guard down. You got to keep yourself protected, you know, like you have to do things in such a way that you know, this guy's going to undermine
0: you or whatever, you know, it's it's just, it's vicious corporate atmosphere out there, man. It's well, you were dark. telling me earlier that that somebody not too long ago was, a woman was killed by one of the roosters that that pecked mm-hmm. through her uh, carotid yeah, not, or something.
1: Yeah, I'm not sure where it was. My wife was telling me that, you know, some news thing that some, one of her, her rooster wow. attacked her and cut her jugular and, and another guy, he uh he got his, like, what is it that's on your thigh? What's the is that the uh, carotid or- artery right there
0: on the thigh? Oh, no, I don't know what that one is, but whatever, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. And that he he pecked at that and like you know, he bled wow. out or whatever, yeah. So I'm like always on guard because it's like he's the only he's the only rooster, he's the only chicken that attacks me. First of all, actually, um, when the hens had their chicks when their chicks were little the hens would come, she, you know, they would peck at me, like super oh, crazy. Wow. They're real protective. It's very fascinating having all these birds. In the- well, do
0: you have to wear a special gear to keep from getting pecked? No,
1: I mean, I just, well, I have, like, boots and, uh, you know, like, work boots, and then I have, like, jeans on and stuff when I go out there. But, yeah, um, you know, I bring, like, a big rake with me just in case. Or if I have, I always oh. have buckets. I always have something in my hand so I can kind of keep them at bay. Now, tonight I'm going to have nightmares about, chickens attacking me but you know what's weird is i buy i buy chicken like when i go to the store i'll buy chicken to eat or you know i'm like i got a
0: fresh supply right out there But you don't like to kill them do you
1: no i mean i haven't i've i've had to dispatch some that were like when the hens were attacking the chicks i tried to save them you know as much as i could but like once you know that it's not going to make it it's just like just try to dispatch it as quickly as possible, so it doesn't have to suffer. Wow. But that's the only time I've ever done that, you know. God, it just
0: seems like, uh, really, my my image of, of chicken farm is that they're these docile, kind of like ben- benevolent or harmless little things that walk around on the ground, and you see them, and you, you just walk right past them. But you got you go out there; it's like a jungle. Yeah, it's they're like a chicken jungle. You know, it's like. So I bought like
1: one of my hands is they two of my roosters always go for the same hint you know like she's uh, i guess the hot one or whatever uh, and so like her feathers have become bare on the back you can see like her skin because they're wow. they claw when they and they rip it they like with their beaks they hold the back of the neck as they're mating it's pretty Ooh. vicious scene to see right and it yeah. doesn't always look like it's voluntary you know what i mean it's kind of a forced, you know wow. and so i bought my um I bought that hen, uh, like, it's called an apron that, like, protects their back so their feathers can grow back. And they just went crazy on her. She was, like, running around the yard. Like, they just kept pack- pecking at it all the time. And, like, she had wow. to hide in, like, little spots. So I took it off because it was just, like, too crazy.
0: Oh, my goodness. Gosh, and, it's interesting, yeah. all this. But chickens. Yeah, I it's not. I idea. I'm going to eat chickens now without any guilt yeah i don't have, no have any feelings guilt of guilt it. anymore those little yeah. bastards deserve to be
1: yeah yeah i put like you know barbecue sauce in their food and stuff like that just so like that way i can get them sweet and
0: tender <laughs> there you go get them <laughs> That's going good. I actually this reminds me of uh my my aunt had chickens before, long before i was born and this may not be true but she swears it's true that she asked her son to feed the chickens and he went out there and, and you feed them out of a sack. Sometimes mm-hmm. don't do chicken feed that comes out of a sack. Yeah, He yeah. went out there and there was, there were sacks of, of cement. Mm-hmm. And he put that in their food thinking it was chicken food and they ate them. And, and then she swears and you tell me, maybe this is impossible. Maybe they wouldn't eat that. But she says they came out and they were all just like all stiff <laughs> <It's> all... <laughs> your they lying, seashells. right yeah, yeah yeah oh okay all right i feed them what seashells
1: though like they eat little like uh, i think they're yeah like little clam shells or something i forgot what's what that called.
0: that's good for them the yeah i think it's like high in calcium, calcium. yeah exactly oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah yeah
1: so you know they're pretty interesting animals are just you know animals have their own strength they have their own agenda you know what i mean i, I feel yeah. pretty comfortable with animals most of the time but you know i've been like wildly attacked by dogs before. So, like, I have a respect for animals. I'm not going to be, like, grizzly, man, and try to pet a grizzly or anything. That's...
0: Yeah, yeah. They have their own space. I have a pet grizzly, and it doesn't work out so nicely. Yeah. like People who, you
1: know, like, have monkeys or, you know, things like that, like, monkeys are pretty vicious, you
0: know what I mean? Yeah. But, you know, that's the thing about all animals. I have a a little dog, and I have to walk it every day. And... It will attack all the other dogs. Yeah. And it's a little nothing dog, but it is so mean. It is so sweet to me. It loves me and it's sweet. It rolls over on its back. They have his belly rubbed and, and it's just sweet all the time. I take it out into the world where there are other dogs and and I guess she's just jealous or protecting her territory, but she is just mean. Just mean. And I it kind of just yeah, it disturbs me a little bit to see that because i think of her as a sweet thing
1: is she good with other humans or is it just uh she's
0: good with other humans yeah
1: yeah some she's dogs dog. like they have to be like like when we first got our dog the people that we got them from over on uh Sepulveda, as my wife said Sepulveda. she didn't know how to pronounce it oh so uh, <laughs> we um we 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 they said oh you need to like introduce your dog to like fifty dogs a week or something like that. And we're like, What this is uh, I got a job. I have to like do stuff, you know what I yeah. mean? <laughs> it was like set up all these birthdays and stuff for my dog or whatever. But you know, when you're out in the neighborhood, everybody's like, Oh, it's a puppy, like they're all excited. So we we did end up in inter- we were, you know, walking around Larchmont and everything with the dog and everybody was all happy to like see the dog and everything as a puppy. So he got really like um uh, oh, exactly. humans other and, yeah, yeah, humans and dogs, and you know, we took well, them. Me, to the it's my back.
0: fault then, because I don't, I don't let her mingle enough. I'm, a, I'm not a good dog parent. You know, it's like,
1: well, I didn't, we didn't know. I mean, we had no one told us that we would just be like, oh, okay, this is, you know, like we were so naive. Like I took him for a walk one time. And I was like, oh, it just doesn't seem like he's really into it. And it's like, well, I forgot the fact that, like, he's walking around barefoot, basically, and it's like 100 degrees outside. Oh, like, oh, yeah, yeah. It was like little paws weren't ready for that yet.
0: Oh, wow, yeah. yeah. A, lot of things, a lot of things about taking care of animals that we don't know. It's kind of like taking care of kids. I think, like, most, most parents, when they start raising kids, don't really know much about sure. kids, you know, yeah. and kids yeah. – like raising kids is a hard job it's really hard and and people don't have to qualify you have to qualify uh, you know for for almost any job in the in, in the world but not for pa- being a parent and that's yeah. probably one of the hardest jobs you know, yeah soon. you don't
1: even have to have like a degree or like you yeah. don't have to have passed any classwork you can get you can become a parent for most people i mean they can become a parent with uh almost no skill attached whatsoever you know
0: yeah why a little skill like like you're good you're good in a in conversation and yeah and you can be charming and but you don't have, have to, to like there, know but... how to
1: drive a forklift or deal
0: no. with
1: uh, airline attendance or anything like that you can just become no. a parent and then next thing you know you have kids that mirror your experience yeah in the world.
0: that's what they do they, they they end up looking at you as an example and then they become like you and you go i don't like that and then you realize wait a minute that's me you know yeah totally so, not good anyhow well we, we, we normally talk about show business and I, as and today we're talking about chickens so
2: yeah well, I was i'm about sorry I just,
0: I just had chickens on my mind because you were t- you told me about this this rooster attacking you and i was shocked mm-hmm. i had no idea roosters people yeah i i knew they they would attack other roosters when they are they both want the same hen. i Mm -hmm. just assume that but because of course we do that too you know so yeah um, yeah it's very
1: competitive it's very interesting like the parallels between human behavior and chicken behavior you'd think they would be like wildly different but if in a in a you know like objectively speaking like you can see like oh you get a bunch of alpha males together they're going to try and impress the hens the hens pick um you know like we were talking about earlier you're saying that they go for the bad boy type you know the the domineering yeah. bad boy type now i know the woke culture or whatever probably would you know have something to say about whether that's real or not but in, in nature you know they just do they just follow this natural order it's pretty fascinating
0: yeah yeah it, you know so i wonder how it seems like the natural order for all animals has a, a lot of hostility yeah, yeah so yeah. how are we gonna we as human beings have to overcome that the animals don't but but we do and and we're not very good at it and i think that's because it's kind of instinctive you know it's kind of there
1: but isn't that but, the draw of like why we why we watch tv i mean i know that like our movies it's People think it's because of the moral stories. But what makes it interesting is the conflict.
0: And we, we are oh, yeah. drawn naturally oh, to conflict. No, it is. We we only watch for conflict. Uh, comedies, dramas, it uh, doesn't matter. Without conflict, people turn the channel. You know? Yeah. Just,
1: so what would happen if everybody became so like, um, you know, so woke that none of the, there's no cultural problems, there's no race problems. there's It would be kind of a bland World, I mean, yeah, I, say... world.
0: Yeah, I don't know. I, I yeah, I, I just hope. Well, I don't think that we're going to get there anyhow, not certainly sure, not in my lifetime, yeah, So, yeah. but, but bland, you could get bland, but we, we, we like, then we can always it? raise. We can raise chickens to keep our lives interesting. So.
1: Yeah, I mean it's like we watch sports. That has a lot of conflict inherently. You know, it's one. Oh, uh, absolutely!
0: Sports is a way to to uh, sublimate in, the, our desire to fight and you know the combat. I mean, certainly football is obvious, mm-hmm. but but tennis. all the sports, yeah, even tennis, even yeah. something like that, uh, it's all com- you know combat. It's just and like Klingons you got to have winners and losers, you know. Mm-hmm. We have to have winners and losers. If, if nobody lost, there would be no game. So mm-hmm. every time I used to think, think about, uh, i get really excited when my team won, like in, in the World Series when the Dodgers won last year. Yeah. I was pretty excited about it. But then I felt bad for these teams that come in second or the, they don't even make the playoffs. And I started thinking, yeah, because we had to beat, their, kick their asses to get to be the world champions and made me feel good as soon as all these people feel bad because of that. But we have Just like
1: these, winners, you know,
0: losers. it's
1: interesting because it's like you can't be a sore loser, but you also can't be an over boastful, prideful winner. You know, it's like yeah, you have man, to kind of like, there's a bandwidth there. But yeah, I mean, I think we naturally, like I watch a lot of UFC. I think UFC is pretty fascinating and I like martial arts and everything. Yeah, And I like UFC, like, but I, I don't – even though there's fighting in hockey, I don't like it in hockey because um, I've seen a lot of people get blindsided in hockey. And it just seems yeah. like a totally different type of – the thing I like about UFC is – Yeah, have, yeah. They face off. They yeah, face yeah, exactly. Off. They're there for They're that reason. For and, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. yeah. So
0: exactly. You're, you're a goalie and you're looking the other way and somebody up you inside the yeah. That's craziness. That's I mean, cool. that's like a street fight. You know, and I even mean, in- that old joke, that old joke that uh, the thing about hockey is it'd be better if there was uh, less skating between fights like, yeah you have to go there for the fights. But, but the truth is, uh, those are scary, those are scarier because those mm-hmm. guys are really angry and fighting without the skill to deal with the fighting. But I don't I, I watch boxing sometimes. Uh, big matches I'll watch sometimes mm-hmm. and and I feel a little guilty pleasure yeah you know, yeah I enjoy yeah, it I can get that at the same it. time when these guys get bloody and 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 when somebody finally gets beaten you know somebody gets knocked out or something There's this guy lying there unconscious because of what somebody mm-hmm. else did to him and we're all cheering that guy who's standing over him raises his hands above his head and, yeah it's it's really weird right it's like very it's romanesque very weird, or something, but, you know Coliseum but i style. like
1: boxing i just I like boxing too. I actually wanted to create a sport called hoxing, which was like, you just freeze over the boxing ring and put them on ice skates <laughs> and just have them go at it. You know what I mean? There you
0: go. Yeah, <laughs> that, that would be cool. I like that. I like it. Did you just make that up on this?
1: You know, I, I, it's definitely something I've thought about before, but you know, yeah. like the bread and circus, I think we're, I don't know if like this is really falls into the bread and sur- circus paradigm, but I do think there is something inherent about, and even in screenplays, like, um, you know, uh, take any show. I mean, any show is about conflict. You know, any show oh, yeah. is about this person wants something and this person wants something, and you know they're going to they butt heads so,
0: unless they oppose one another. There's no, there's nothing there. Yeah, I, I've, I, I when I'm teaching, I've seen students write a scene where somebody walks in and says, "Would you like a cup of coffee?" And the other person says, "Sure. How, how yeah. do you like? It? How black? You know?" Great. And you are going, yeah. Come on, somebody throw the coffee in his face. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? Then then I'm going to be interested, other than I'm about to turn the channel, if you just drink that coffee, um, or if somebody says, This is the worst shitty coffee, this is the worst thing I've ever, you know, then another the guy gets defensive about it. Suddenly you get involved. But well, mm-hmm. two people just drink coffee and it's very real. Because I'll say, Well, you seem to have to be very real and authentic. And they'll do a very real, authentic scene of two people drinking coffee and talking. But unless they get into a conflict, nothing. Yeah. And then you have like that Harold
1: Pinter style of writing where it's like, uh, you know, I'll take Two Sugars or something. And then that's like loaded with all kinds of backstory. And you'll find out about that 20 pages from now. And oh, my God, that Two Sugars is a huge lead yeah, into no. something terrible, you know. And, and, but I don't, you know, I, I, we've talked about this before. I watch a lot of like real housewives with uh whatever i like uh-huh. all the real housewives shows
0: you like those shows
1: i yeah they're facts i love but, those. but shows.
0: but you know those shows are, are like wrestling to me mm-hmm. uh i know they're fake i yeah. mean you know not entirely fake just like wrestling is entirely fake these guys get hurt wrestling sure yeah, yeah. Know, it, it's, it's a hard it's a skill yeah but when they already know who's gonna win and who's gonna lose and right and, and what, what bits they're gonna do yeah and it's like that with these these housewives too, they they give them scripted stuff, kind of tell them they improvise a lot of it, but a lot of the lines and stuff are thrown to them. It's
1: yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, you know, I just think it's fascinating with the uh, housewives. You know, you get to see um, because they they have such high wealth. You know what I mean? They get affected by things also. You know, like you think. At least I used to think that wealthy people weren't affected by the ebbs and flows of the market or re- recessions. Yeah. They didn't have. But if you're paying. You know x amount of dollars for x amount of thousands of dollars for a mortgage every month you know you're yeah. you're going to feel that if the if your house goes underwater it's going to go underwater quick you know so yeah. it's very yeah. fascinating
0: well i had that happen to me i i at the height of my career when I was i think i was on taxi and i, had, I was making a lot of money mm-hmm. and uh i had a huge house not, I didn't I never wanted a huge house you know my life even after I tell you it's not so great I had the house was so big that in the room we watched the television the game room mm-hmm. when a commercial would come on and you go down to the kitchen mm-hmm. get some food and come back you couldn't make it to the kitchen and back before the show started again because the yeah. kitchen was so far away it was such a big house yeah um it was ridiculous but my wife wanted it
1: so you um, didn't have like the idea when you were younger, like oh, I want to. Like, did you have any size property in mind?
0: I never thought about having a big property. I never thought about having a Rolls Royce, and I, and I've had both now, and I didn't really enjoy either. Yeah. Um, you go. What's the big deal about this? This Rolls Royce is really hard to park.
2: Mm-hmm. It's yeah. really hard yeah.
0: to drive. It's just a big. And back back when I had it, they were big tubs. I mean, they were big. They're like boats. Yeah, yeah. Now they're Still, now yeah. they're, they're they're little trim down a little bit more it does feel heat.
1: like a boat though it has like a very nautical style when you're inside the, yeah you those know, days when i worked
0: on taxi like for example yacht. i'd work from um 10 in the morning to about three in the morning go home and sleep for six hours and come back at for 10 o'clock to start the next day almost every day even weekends almost so i um, mean
1: that's the thing that like i think a lot of people don't understand about writing is you know but was that for all the staff writing staff or was that just primarily
0: because you were the showrunner or was that even well, it was later? our whole writing staff yeah already staff. we had a small staff on taxi we only had uh four or five people mm-hmm. some of these shows have 12 some have more than 12 i've seen you know i think i've saw 20 ones on the show and that can't be right they can't 20 people there must be part-timers or something but we would get by with four people besides me the showrunner and then four other people mm-hmm. and uh
1: that's a lot, though. I mean, that's, I mean, that's very little people to come up with. Uh, what I meant was a lot. That's a lot of episodes to do with just oh, those yeah. four or five minds, you know? Yeah.
0: Well, yeah. It was yeah, hard. You freelancers, I mean, that's, too. Why we, that's why we couldn't get on. We didn't use freelancers much. Very, no? very Oh, okay. Almost maybe one script out of, out of the 22 to 25 we do a year. Yeah. Maybe yeah. one or two. More like one. Did you have one. to rewrite the freelancers, or did they come yeah, in pretty solid? Yeah, okay. they were. We didn't have any good luck. All, all our freelancers wrote crappy scripts. Hmm.
1: Um, Is that because they weren't familiar with the show? They didn't understand like the nuance? They could just hit the
0: made? Like, I think the, it was part of it. I think part strokes. of it was they didn't understand the show, didn't understand us, didn't understand what was why it worked, didn't work. They just really didn't make a study of it, most mm-hmm. of them. Mm-hmm. And also because, people don't realize this, but writing those comedies that seem like they're just silly little – half-hour entertainments are really hard to write Mm -hmm. so mostly people just weren't funny enough or they weren't dramatic enough you know they either couldn't they couldn't create a story that you cared about and would follow and or they couldn't do the jokes that had to go along with the story Mm -hmm. it's just really hard it's a really really hard thing we we just had no luck with freelancers
1: when you Um, were when you were doing uh, that stuff was jim brooks like in the
0: you know in the room with you guys or no. Jim Brooks with Jim Brooks was at the time working on movies. So oh, okay, Jim was with I could consult with Jim because mm-hmm. I was a showrunner. When I was a showrunner. Before me it was Glenn and Les Charles. And the same thing. We could consult with Jim with um, on phone on the phone mostly. But also he'd come into his office and, and he'd be available from time to time. Um and I would just go in there and I would just run everything by him. I would just have everything I wanted to talk about and I just you know like ram it down the 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 system through the system and he was the system because he had to approve everything but it was really hard because he was so busy and um it was really hard it was a hard gig working taxi and but I loved every moment of it because I was a young man and it was my first show and though all I did was work all I did was work. I, I, as I told you, I'd go home to sleep and come back at ten o'clock and work till three the next day. Yeah, that's and, a typical schedule, right? That's like no, pretty... it's not typical. It's not no,
1: typical. okay. No. Even for like regular other shows, that's not the norm. Mm-hmm.
0: No, oh, okay. cheers. Cheers would would come in at ten and go home at six seven. Oh, that was like much more normal life. M- much more normal. Mm-hmm. The problem with taxi was there were a lot of a lot of chefs and a lot of chiefs, you know. Mm-hmm who were making decisions, because there was also Ed Weinberger as one of the executive producers. <clears throat> and then the network wasn't really much involved. No, the network wasn't involved. The studio really wasn't much involved. It was primarily just trying to please Ed and Jim and very high standards for the show, because the show, when I when I started running it, had won every single year that we were on the air, we'd won his best comedy. so. Mm. There's a lot of pressure to have to do another year of best comedy. You know, it's just so you you couldn't settle for jokes. You know, some shows say, Okay, you need a joke here. A lot of people don't understand what jokes are. Jokes are the action and dialogue that make you laugh. It's not a joke like a setup and a punchline, setup and punchline. Right. You are involved with setups, but the setups are long, story involved, and then the punchline plays off of that and Mm -hmm. also has to be story involved. So they're not like telling a joke, like you know, um, a rabbi, a, a priest, and a and a Indian chief are in a boat, and it starts raining. You know that kind. Of, it's not yeah. those kind of jokes. Yeah. So, um, it was long hours because you'd write a joke and you just go, "That's just not good enough. That's mm-hmm. not good enough. That's that's not gonna. That's not a taxi joke."
1: Did you feel it's a awful, lot of pressure? Awful, awful, awful. Oh yeah. From like because Jim Brooks. I mean, I I mean, explain a little bit just in case people who are watching aren't as familiar with Jim Brooks, you know, as he is now compared to who would you compare
0: him to in today's,
1: you know, Uh, pantheon? Well,
0: probably Jim Jim was was so successful that there was no comparable person at the time, Uh, maybe going way back to Tandem Productions, which was um, Norman Lear. Mm -hmm. Norman Lear, like, had dominated comedies for a while and then jim came in he dominated comedies for a while and now chuck lorre kind of is that person chuck lorre has always had shows on the air that are successful and really hasn't had any failures so he just had mom which didn't do so well and was mm-hmm. recently canceled Actually, i think is did that new show
1: get canceled the one that was the with the guy from was it afghanistan or pakistan or not pakistan I can't remember what his yeah, new show yeah, is. He got...
0: Yeah, he did have something else that got canceled. but Yeah, but pretty rare, never, I mean. Jim Brooks had never had anything canceled. Mm-hmm. Even even during the time I worked with him, except for one exception, we, which we can talk about, he's the one who pulled the plug. When I did the Tracy Ullman show with him,
2: mm-hmm.
0: he's the one who decided we wouldn't do it anymore. The network didn't cancel us. And and uh, even, you know, the ratings weren't great, but we were winning awards every and And it was a new network, Fox. And so they were thrilled to be winning the awards and nobody really cared whether we had huge ratings or not. Mm-hmm. Um, and Jim pulled the plug because he spun off the Simpsons from the Tracy Ullman show. And the Simpsons started to make a huge amount of money instantly. Mm-hmm. Overnight it started generating a huge amount of merchandising which, which nobody was making money on before that. And, uh, and Jim was just too busy with his movies and this and the the simpsons, so he can't he just pulled the plug on it he just didn't want to do it anymore. what was and the show that the he had canceled for all of us, you know? what was the what was the show that he had canceled? The one that he got canceled was called The Associates and it was about uh, law associates who mm-hmm. who it was a law firm and it was really smart and funny and it had a lead woman who was was funny who was just gorgeous she was just gorgeous, blonde, maybe just too good-looking to do comedy. Mm-hmm. Well, there are some really pretty women who do comedy, but uh, there are. But anyhow, uh, this one was just really a knockout. It's like and a pre-Ali McBeal type of show,
1: like that kind of thing?
0: Allie McBeal was... Yeah, I'd say in some ways it was like an Allie McBeal. I mean, Allie McBeal was a single camera, um, more, more like short film Mm -hmm. uh, presentation and the associates was just shot with multiple cameras with a live audience. So there's very few sets. Laugh track, which was not a fake laugh track. Laugh track was from the audience there that was actually laughing. Mm -hmm. Um and uh so I've always had this feeling that the shows that aren't single camera never feel quite as real. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Single camera feels very real. So so the associates didn't have that sense of reality or it, even though Allie McBeal took a lot of liberties with reality, it still felt real. Mm-hmm. And The Associates didn't quite feel real. It felt like a stage play, mm-hmm. which is what m- multiple camera shows look like. So, um, well, so so we were doing... It's funny, because we were doing Taxi. Taxi was the darling of, the, of television, because we had been on for three years, and we, we had won emmy for best comedy for three years mm-hmm. and then he jim brought in the associates and everybody loved the associates and he was starting to get attention those of us on taxi were getting jealous mm. we really were we were just, jim was spending too much time with the the new baby you know mm-hmm. ignoring the other child uh and Some we really felt rivalry. that yeah we yeah. really felt that sense and and um it was it's funny it's funny how that gets you know, we wanted Jim's attention because we wanted taxi to be the best it could be mm-hmm. and Jim was the best at that skill at that time and now he spent so much time with the associates there were times he just wasn't available for us mm-hmm. it's just like a this is like a parent thing you know mm-hmm. you get too busy with the ba- newborn baby and you can't right. spend time with the, the young toddler yeah and um and he did a, he, they did that show, and I thought it was a really good show, and I I really enjoyed that show a lot. And uh, it didn't make it through one season. It mm. got it got canceled somewhere. In didn't get numbers. Didn't get following. Didn't get good ratings. Um, got good did- got critical acclaim. Mm-hmm. Did get that. Got good reviews. Um,
1: Do you think there's a, such a thing as too smart for TV? Yeah.
0: I think yeah. there is not so much now because there, there's all these niche audiences that you can be really smart or very specific, very, mm-hmm. um, um, focused on one little area. But in those days we, we were broadcasting. So we had to get everybody in the country watching it. Mm-hmm. And it's really hard because you know, what a diverse country this is. Sure. Um, yeah. So all kinds of people, um, I think it was too smart for television. I think people would watch it and go, "I don't know. I just I want to watch Laverne and Shirley because I don't think so much. You know, mm-hmm. it just was easier to watch Laverne and Shirley trying to get a mule up the stairs because the boss is coming."
1: <laughs> <laughs> you say it though, and it's like it actually sounds
0: pretty funny. You know what I mean? So, yeah, I, know. I could see the appeal. Know. You know, she couldn't get yeah. yeah. And, uh, and meanwhile, but on associates in this, in the pilot episode this gorgeous blonde it was pretty interesting seeing because this this one associate who was the newest associate and she was actually a lawyer this beautiful blonde and he was an associate mm-hmm. which is a new lawyer who just has no ranking yet mm-hmm. and i mean you know something i'm saying it for somebody who maybe doesn't know
1: no sure but i mean I'm, this is
0: actually I'm, news to me i didn't know that Oh, so, am <laughs> yeah, not that familiar with lawyers to be honest oh So anyhow, um, so he's madly in love with her. You know, she's just she's gorgeous. She had one of those looks. She was like the perfect blonde. You know, I mean, she's a lot of fake blondes or or blondes who try too hard or Mm -hmm. or or they're too sexy or they're too whatever. She was just so pretty. And um, in the very first early, I think it was like the first couple scenes. He's in her office, and she has to go to a dinner date. It's right in front of him. She takes off her clothes and puts on her. Like he's nothing. That was. You know, the, what? That I actually think of... I
1: remember that. Wasn't that like a big selling point for the show at a certain point?
0: I yeah, think I kind of he...
1: remember that.
0: Yeah, yeah. Of course, I would remember
1: that. That and you know, pushing a mule that. up some stairs. Yeah, those are like <laughs> those will sear into your memory.
0: Well, there were no jokes and there was no story, but she sure took off her clothes. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, yeah. So but... That one I get. <laughs> yeah. But she, she stripped down to her underwear. She didn't get naked, she, but she, you know, really revealing. She stripped down to her underwear in front of this guy who had this mad crush on her, and she didn't even see him as a human being, certainly mm-hmm. not as a man. Mm-hmm. So it meant nothing to her to take her clothes off in front of him and continue to talk of the legal issue that they, that they were dealing with. Mm-hmm. While she's taking her clothes, and he can't focus anymore, but he's trying to. and He's keeping up with the legal things she's talking about, but she's redressing herself for a date. Mm-hmm. so it was it was a really interesting seeing because I mean we've all had the experience with some beautiful woman who l- looks right through you like you're not even there mm-hmm. that's what he was and it was so a really interesting scene and I don't remember anything else about the show <laughs>
1: <laughs> well maybe that's uh maybe it peaked right after that you know people couldn't they're like get back to that one scene you know
0: no actually it was Martin Short who, who was playing the associate so he was really good Yeah, Martin Short,
1: what a career that guy's had.
0: Yeah, and he was very young then. He was playing the associate, he was so young. Um, But the show was really smart because it had real, it had legal situations. They had to talk some law. Mm -hmm. Um, They were smart people because they were successful lawyers and it was a very prestigious firm, which is, so it was hard for him to become an associate. So everybody in the place was really smart. Mm -hmm. That's probably a thing that turned a lot of people off. Um, everybody was smart, everybody was good-looking, and well, Martin is cute, not good-looking. I mean, people would think he's kind of one of the, those cute characters. Mm-hmm. You know? uh, Do you think it didn't have that. a
1: solid everyman? You know how, like, um, yeah, it didn't have an everyman? Okay, like, like Woody from Cheers, or you know, somebody no. that you can kind of. No, I mean, obviously, Woody, you can't really relate to, but you know what I mean. Uh, you know, at least he's.
0: I can relate to, <laughs> to Woody. Yeah. Sometimes I feel stupid. You ever hear people say? How does it feel to, to know you're always the smartest person in the room? Mm-hmm. Well, no, I've what... never heard that. So... <laughs> so I've had that issue. Nobody's always yeah. ever said that to you. Huh? No. But I know what it's like to feel like you're the stupidest person in the room. Sure. Yeah. Okay. That I can relate to. I've worked with uh, really top writers. And sometimes you're just looking at these people with reputations. When I was very young and I first started, these people have reputations and they've won awards and they're, they're talking. They know exactly what they're doing because they've done it for so long. And i felt like the stupidest person in the room i I Mm -hmm. had that feeling and
1: uh but i mean when you're like around a bunch of heavyweights you know especially if you're new it's got it's always intimidating it's always intimidating writing in general around other people not the actual typing because that's not usually done around other people but the idea sharing and you know articulating vague concepts in your mind that you're trying to build you know build out with other people that can be very intimidating because it's such a at least in my experience you know and and I, I, I feel comfortable in those environments but I feel like um, if somebody critiques my things too early it, it's such a derailer because it's like I haven't nailed down the concept yet I don't feel comfortable with it and then somebody comes in with like a little piece of information and whether it's relevant or not, if it just veers too far left or too, far, you know, if they're not understanding where I'm going because I haven't necessarily honed it yet, then it, I, I tend to like want only, I really only kind of want feedback once I'm feeling, you know, somewhat confident about the the presentation of the
0: idea. Well, I'm so, with all the years I've done, I still feel that way. I I prefer to write alone. Yeah, because I can I can do my bad draft. I can do my right my um um process where it's not there yet but i know it's going to get there sure when you're in the room you can't really do that you're t- you got all these brilliant people and so you're pitching ideas when i first started on taxi i'd only pitch i'd only speak up when i had something i thought was absolutely surefire right. i wouldn't throw out the ideas that were maybe starting to brew and develop mm-hmm. um and actually they liked that about me because i didn't interrupt the room we actually had some other, uh, nov not novice, I guess we were novice writers, but some new writers. They used to call them baby writers. Baby writers, yeah. They, they still, them. I think
1: they still call them baby writers. Oh yeah, yeah, So, yeah.
0: Um, who would just constantly throw out their ideas? Boom, 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 and interrupt other people. Not interrupt people, but fill up the space so somebody else can't talk. Mm-hmm. And their ideas weren't very good. They were underdeveloped, mm-hmm. and they didn't make it through the first season. They were moved out, um, oh, nice. and then fired Mm -hmm. um though the funny thing about show business is people don't get fired they just get a new deal that you know well well, he left because he had this great opportunity to work on this other project Mm -hmm. it's always lie because your agents always say that so these guys left i won't say who their names are but they left taxi having failed there but their agent said they decided they did so well at taxi that they were moving on to do their own things. Spent some time good. with family and
1: everything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah it's just, a spin they on it, right? their own
0: projects and right. uh, decided that, that they had creative differences and all that, all that, mm-hmm. that nonsense talk um, and actually got other deals based on people believing that, that they had done so well at taxi. They wanted to move on and up. Mm-hmm. They didn't want to stay in that position of being on on a staff. right. You guys actually did much after taxi, they just kept succeeding and man, it's very strange. But um, yeah how people perceive you as more important than what you can actually do or what you actually deliver. But There's a lot about life though. Yeah, yeah, in, in all businesses, this mm-hmm. is true. There, there is that. we were talking about the, the late nights with taxi, um. Yeah, it was because we wouldn't settle. We wouldn't settle for jokes that would work. We wouldn't settle for story twists and turns. that mm-hmm. would work. Yeah, because they had to be better than anybody else. We had to be the best comedy, best show, best half hour on the air. And to do that, you'd always say, "Um, oh, I don't know. Barney Miller's going to do lines better than that. Let's keep mm-hmm. working." Mm-hmm. And so we would be there every single day from. I mean, I'm not exaggerating, 10 in the morning to 3 in the morning. Um, and it, it seems like it can wear you down, but it doesn't because if something exciting and fun about it, mm-hmm. even when it's really hard, mm-hmm. and I can tell people that, you know, people will say, well, I don't know, boy, that's a lot of hours. I don't want to work that many hours. Well, if you have, if you have a family, I don't know how you do it. I was single. Mm-hmm. You would never see your family. So, I don't know how you do that if you had kids and a wife, people that who want to see you and spend time with you, because we just go home to sleep and come back. Mm -hmm. And we were all single. Everybody on that, everybody on our staff at that time was single when I was running the show. And we just stay there forever. Did they have the show broken? You know how like now they
1: really weigh everything based on eighteen to twenty-four demographic. Was it heavy? you know,
0: conversations like that at the time? Not to us, but the, the, just, we had to be the best comedies, all they said, and have a, a huge uh, rating. So we had to uh, have the, the breadth of, of the whole country, you know, the, that it had to be that wide that it was accessible to everybody. And same time be better than what anybody else is doing. And that's a tough order. Yeah, and really here's a joke. You do a joke. Oh, that's funny, but it's too sophisticated or it's too, too smart. And a lot of people are not going to get it. So we can't do it. Don't do how, it.
1: How is the room divided? Like, you know,
0: at, you were saying that one, you... this is cream soda. I don't want really to think I'm drinking uh, whiskey <laughs> here. So. All right. Um, it, it, <laughs> how did you
1: how is the room divided in terms of age and, and experience? You know, because you said you were around everything. 24, 25. Yeah, I was
0: very young. I was 25. When I was running the show, I was 27, 28. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's under 30, um, though. I mean, that's. Yeah, I was under 30. But I, I was up there, my high 20s. Mm-hmm. Um, but we had people, other, some younger than me, just a little younger than me, uh, and some, some guys in their 50s and 60s. Uh, we so- had David, David Lloyd who probably was 60 at the time, Um, he didn't stay late. David had a great thing because David had a family and a wife and and responsibilities or pleasures he wanted to pursue beyond writing. He'd been writing for so many years by then. It wasn't enough to keep him happy and and entertained. So his deal was he got to go home at midnight, no matter what condition we were in. Mm-hmm. If the show was still in really bad situation at midnight, he still got to go home at midnight. Never stayed beyond midnight. And at midnight, you know, you know it would be struggling on a joke or a scene or something. He'd say, see you later, guys. He always thought it was kind of fun and funny. that At midnight, he walked walk out. And in those days, this is like, this is taxi. is something like, gosh, how many years ago would that have been? Let's see, if I was 25 About 40 years ago. Mm -hmm. David Lloyd 40 years ago was making ten thousand dollars a night. Mm -hmm. So what would that be in today's money? I don't know. They don't do that anymore though. They don't pay these super He's making
1: fifty grand a week? Sixty grand a week?
0: Oh yeah. No, he would he would only come in for us one night a week. Oh, okay. Well still ten that's forty grand a month. He'd come in for us one night a week and he'd come in for another show one night a week and he'd come to another show. So he probably had three shows going always. Oh, really? just one night. But every, he'd come in, and he'd come in late. He wouldn't come in at 10 o'clock with the rest of us because at 10 o'clock we're working on next week's show mm-hmm. and and editing of the previous week's show. We're, we're doing a lot of things at, in the early part. He would come in after the run-through. The run-through is where the actors actually run through the existing script adapted whatever condition it's in, mm-hmm. he would see that say at three in the afternoon and then come in and sit down, what is it, four or five, and go home at midnight, and got ten thousand dollars every time he did that. But he was pun- he was like a punch up writer, right?
1: Like he did just jokes. primarily jokes. He wasn't did he mess with just the story jokes. structure at all or just
0: unless it had something to do with the joke itself? No, just jokes. Wow. And um, he was probably the funniest guy I've ever known. He just could. You could. You could give him a subject or a thing, and he would just boom. There's the joke. Mm-hmm. You give him story, Boom. There's the joke. And it's just an amazing guy. So, in terms of of the rarity of his talent, I guess it was worth whatever ten thousand dollars a night would be today. I guess that would be like like a hundred thousand dollars a night. You know, mm-hmm. that's crazy. And, and he just for. Just for a regular eight hour day, you know, from four to midnight, what's that? Yeah, it's about eight hours.
1: And what's his son's name? That he was in uh, Modern Family,
0: Christopher Lloyd. He created okay. Modern Family, he ran and he created was the showrunner Modern Family. I just always get him confused with the other Christopher Lloyd, yeah, the actor, yeah, yeah. That's it's, interesting that
1: uh, Christopher Lloyd and then there's the actor who was on taxi, you know, yeah, yeah. So I always get them intermingled,
2: the
0: yeah, yeah, really intermingling, but no relation, it, right. It, it, no, no relation. Yeah. But David was, um, was just an amazing joke man, amazing joke man. So you could focus more on your story. I could focus on the story, make sure you to get the story right. Because if we really got the then you, there, there is, there's a sense of you can go so far with story development before you have to have a laugh. Mm-hmm. So when we'd go this far with the story and then we'd learn David, he'd give us a laugh and we'd go on and mm-hmm. give us a laugh. And I don't mean, it wasn't always David. Harry was pitching. So it wasn't always David who had the the joke and the laugh that got in. Mm -hmm. It's just he had, he would pitch three jokes to every joke anybody else pitched, Mm -hmm. you know. And... um, Did his jokes ever change the direction of the story?
1: Like, you know, you're, you're like, oh, now we can play off of that because this character, you know.
0: Yeah, sometimes, sometimes. But here's the interesting thing about David's jokes. Sometimes it worked very often, but half the time they wouldn't work mm-hmm. in the show mm-hmm. because he's very funny and he's very uh, instantaneous, and he also was like it was like improv for him. So mm-hmm. sometimes it would work in the room just because he could come up with them so fast, and they were so appropriate, and he delivered them with such great style that we would in the room would laugh or we would go, Oh, that's a great joke and put it. But about a half of them didn't work. When, when we would actually get to the stage and have the next run through the next day, about half of them just fall out and he's not coming back again. He's only there for the one day. So now we're there fixing jokes of his that didn't work. But
1: That's crazy though. I mean, to be that high paid, but 50% of your output isn't going to hit the mark you know that's
0: still that's that's what the comedy world was like the the strange thing about when you write half-hour comedy you make more money than people who are writing hour dramas mm-hmm. Oh, and I didn't the know that. For that is it what i didn't know that oh yeah so so dramas paid less than comedies uh like half-hour comedy paid almost as much for a script as a whole hour of a drama mm. um and the, the writers themselves were were at a higher level of pay in the comedy world than they were in the dramatic world as well. Mm-hmm. And the reason for that is we had to be able to do drama and comedy both. Right, right. But mm-hmm. the dramatic writers only had to do drama. Mm-hmm. And then there were comedies like, I don't mean to demean it because it's very successful, say like the and Shirley, mm-hmm. where they didn't worry about the drama. It was all just comedy. Mm-hmm. So. But, but shows like Taxi and Barney Miller and M.A.S.H., and those were the classics during those days. Mm-hmm. Um, we had to do drama and comedy constantly. Mm-hmm. And so it was, you had to have two skills. So it made it even rarer to find somebody who could do those. And then it was harder work because you had to be able to satisfy people dramatically and, and comedically, where on The Vernon Shirley, you just had to make them laugh. You put the mule up the stairs could take 10 minutes you know almost half mm-hmm. your show mm-hmm. uh, you know one where your backs up to the mules ass pushing it up and mm-hmm. the farts and it just it, we used to laugh that the, the Cosby show sometimes uh, would literally they would just dance and mug and wink and do funny faces and stuff for five straight minutes without a joke yeah which, then he's dancing funny yeah yeah and his voice and yeah and you're like man there's no jokes there there's no there's no drama there this is a guy just m- mugging for the audience you know mm-hmm. huh? it, it worked better than anybody that was the top show on television for a long time
1: i wonder what happened to that guy. Than, yeah <laughs> was, yeah no i think that's amazing but um You know, one of the reasons I asked you, like, what the demographic was, the spread, and the, because if you're, if you're trying to appeal to a broad audience, and you don't have that experience of having families yet, because you guys are all single, and, you know, how do you bridge that gap, you know, and how do you know, like, what Middle America is thinking versus the coast, you
0: know? Well, well, for one thing, we did have David Lloyd, and Mm -hmm. we did have Jim Brooks and Ed Weinberger, who were older and married, mm-hmm. so <clears throat> it was just the the core. <clears throat> excuse me. It was the core writing staff that was not married, but mm-hmm. but we did have married people around who who would uh, speak up about such. But also, you know, we're all well informed. We watch television. We watch the news. We read. We read mm-hmm. the news. Uh, we, we pretty much know what's going on in the world, and then in Middle America, and what and what you you know if a joke is very very um, um, show business kind of joke, that's not going to reach people who don't understand show business. It's going to mm-hmm. reach those people in Hollywood or L.A. or New York or Chicago, maybe, but Middle America might not get those jokes that are that are um, reference jokes about show business, for mm-hmm. example. So Two those that are baseball. Are, you know, you know, mm-hmm. uh, it's we just a lot of it was guesswork, but we also had um um a uh, research department. So mm-hmm. when you wrote a script, it had to go through the research department before it got to the people who would actually deal with the script. So say um a, a freelancer wrote a script. When it was all done and turned in it was not only turned into the showrunner and the executive producers it was also turned into the research uh department and the research department would send back notes saying well this reference is wrong that reference is wrong this is grammatically incorrect this Mm -hmm. uh factually incorrect and 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 so we had that that was very helpful
1: do you think it made a difference that the shows that you were writing weren't primary? It wasn't like a Cosby show. It wasn't a staircase show. It was a basically not family sh- oriented show. I mean, it was, y- y- you yeah. can relate
0: to the characters in a way that, you know, cause they're young and they're also like, you know. I think I could have written a family show. I, 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 really think, if you think about yourself, even when you were very young, mm-hmm. um, like in your, you know, 20, 21, 22, as I said, you, you're, if you want to be a show business, you're pretty well informed about everything. You just want to, part of the reason you, you're the kind of guy who wants to write scripts is because you're always got your nose in everybody else's business or in the world's business as well. Sure. Yeah. But we pretty much knew, we pretty much knew it. I mean, I wrote for women I mean, I wrote stuff for Lane. I've never been a woman or, mm-hmm. you know, or, or had an insight on that, but you just, this is new, and sometimes you make mistakes, and somebody has to catch you on it. But mm-hmm. uh, that's one of the things I—I'd write. I wrote for old people. I wrote for for people of um, the of another gender. Uh, I wrote uh, for gay people. I, you know, you write for people you don't you don't know the experience, mm-hmm. but you know about the experience well enough to to make it feel authentic. Mm -hmm. when you write about it and if you and if you don't know you ask i mean i've had a problem with that Mm -hmm. if i didn't know something about how somebody how a woman might feel in this situation with with her boyfriend or whatever Mm -hmm. i i would ask i might go to to mary lynn or i might go to you know one of the the actresses say okay we're writing the scene you know blah blah blah. Uh, how how would you react to that she'd tell me and it wouldn't necessarily be funny or great dramatically but it would give me a real sense of what's authentic mm-hmm, and we right. would go back to the room and and write it add the stuff that make it funny being consistent with the things she felt like there was an episode where louie really interesting episode where it was i think it was called louie goes too far mm-hmm. and what happened was louie drills a hole in the wall so you can see the women in there in the, in the restroom in the women's room um and that was why he went, where he went too far. And Mary Lou was saying, you know, that's a violation that you, you, you can't understand. When you find out a guy's been watching you in, in, in bathroom activities, bathroom, I guess, activities, whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, a, it was a violation. It was hard to explain. Mm-hmm. But, but to me, it didn't seem as offensive. It's like, yeah, you want to tell the guy, knock it off uh maybe reprimand them or something but i didn't i wouldn't feel violated by mm-hmm. that you know mm-hmm. whether it was a woman or a man or anybody had seen it i'd just say what's the what the fuck has been wrong with you but i do wouldn't you, i was gonna ask do
1: you think that's because in um culture overall like we were much more accustomed to seeing men in the restroom at different in different ways you know that's something that happens yeah. fairly often through westerns through mm-hmm. uh, bar type shows you know like uh, animal house you know you see these kind of jokes happen yeah you know of
0: course they started doing it more with women uh, that show girls they'd be sitting on the on the toilet you know having a bowel movement you know it's yeah like, who wants to see that but it, there it was yeah so things have changed i mean that's why I say you got to keep up with it. So you watch that show, even though it was not a show that I particularly liked. Mm-hmm. But seeing that show, it gave me some insight into what young women were more interested in, because the show was doing well with young women. So mm-hmm. you have to you have to keep pretty well informed. If you if you're doing a show, uh, a smart show, a quality show, you have to watch other shows, and you have to read. You know. Mm-hmm. And watch. You got you got to stay aware, right? Excuse me. So um. So uh, the late nights were just were really um. Everyone we would finish something would finish the night, at say seven eight o'clock, and I didn't know what to do with myself. So, oh really? Yeah, it's like eight o'clock at night, and they don't, I'm not working. What am I gonna do? Where I don't have any? I'm, I can't just call up a friend because I I haven't been keeping in touch with my friends. I don't know mm-hmm. what to do. I don't know where I'm going to go. Where, where? So maybe we'd, we would just hang out in, the, in those there were video machine uh, um, arcades. We'd go play video machines or we'd go out and eat or drink and still stick with each other. You know, mm-hmm. like, you know, what would you do? You know, it's a very great, my life, my life on taxi. And that sounds like a, a series, my life on taxi. Mm-hmm was just taxi. Where Which were you time. guys working? What part of town were you in? Paramount Studios in Hollywood.
1: Oh, over in Larchmont?
0: Yeah. Area. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, um, they would bring our food in. We would eat breakfast, lunch, and dinner there. Mm-hmm. And they'd go to any restaurant you we wanted. Things have changed now. The bud- Now there are budgets for food and stuff, and I told you, you know, and David Lloyd was making so much money and all these things were for comedies, comedies were king then. Yeah, we would order lunch and dinner from the best restaurants in town, mm-hmm. and and our refrigerator was always full of uh, all kinds of goodies. Uh, mostly snacks, and the freezer was full of ice cream and
1: real healthy. <laughs> you know, did a lot of people gain weight on the show? Or are you just
0: too stressed? Yeah, out? people would gain weight. And people would get a lot of coffee drinking. Mm-hmm. There's always always several pots of coffee out. It was just kind of like, but it was, that was your world. Oh, okay. That right. um, was my life. Yeah. And, and and honestly, sometimes when we wouldn't have work a weekend, I would love it. It was like a holiday. You know, I told you the other one, sometimes when you finish early in an, in an evening, you yeah. know what to do. But on, on a weekend, like you knew you had a weekend, you could catch up, you your laundry was this high because you hadn't, you couldn't even send your laundry in. You know, if you right. get it yourself, you couldn't take it in anywhere. And, um, and you'd go, you'd go see family, just say hello again to them. Yes, I'm still in the world, um, and you're still in the world. Yay! You know, and, mm-hmm. you know, little celebrations and, um, uh, just a relief of not having to think, of funny things one after another. And then Monday would come around and boy, you're right back in the trenches and not hating it. That's mm-hmm. the weirdest thing. You don't hate it. Yeah. You know you're working really hard. You know it's a little bit crazy. So a, lot of, so a lot of ageism that goes on now is some of it's based on reality. A lot of isms are based on reality. They get pushed out of proportion.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Ageism is the reaction to the fact that when you're single, you will work and do nothing but work and right. not complain. Mm-hmm. Once you're married and start having family, you say, I have, I'm married. I have a family. I have sure. to do those things. So I understand why they're attracted to young people. But the, the difference is I can now I could run a show like Glenn Les did for Cheers. I could run a show that works from nine to five.
2: Mm-hmm. It's
0: doable. And Cheers was ended up being the best, you know. Cheers actually remembered more than Taxi, mm-hmm. uh, and Glenn and Les would not work those crazy hours, and, and they had wives, and
1: neither. It's one a of smart had show. Kids. It's kind of just considered a smart show. Has Cheers some of the, the smartest Christmas. characters of
0: all time, you know, like Fraser yeah. and whatnot, you know. But you know, Glenn Les were interesting because they were Mormons mm. who didn't practice the Mormon like they did drink coffee, then they smoked cigars. In fact, they didn't do anything more. <laughs> right. but, um, but they did have, both had wives, but they didn't have children. They both, they both were members of zero population growth. Hmm. I don't know if it's still around, but there was a group called zero population growth whenever we w- believed that the planet was becoming overpopulated mm-hmm. and people should not have children or just have one child. right? Know in China, that became a law but it, but there were people in this country who were trying to organize people to not have children. Huh. And they were both in that. Really? So neither Glenn or Les had children. So it kind of made, it freed them up a little bit because, you know, having children is a lot of responsibility. Mm-hmm. So I see that a little bit, a bit of why there's some truth that age is a factor. Mm-hmm. But then the other side is once you've become so experienced that you can do the same things that used to take you all day to do, you can do in in a 10-hour day that used to take you 24, uh, you know, well, not 24, but, but, but an 18-hour day. Mm-hmm. Now you can do it in a 10-hour day, the same just as well, because you just know better. You just know what not to do. You know what to do. You just direct yourself better. So... There's two things you either get somebody who's a novice who will work and do nothing but work or get someone who has experience who can do it in less time right. either one works mm-hmm. but they've the business has wiped out the experienced guy they don't want the experienced guy mm-hmm. they only want the young ones and one of the problem one of the reasons for that as they say is that the young people are not comfortable especially if they're a showrunner or they're high up with the older people more than that older people aren't comfortable with the young people Mm. that's what they tell us so they said we hire all these young people because they'll do nothing but work Mm -hmm. and they take less money Mm
1: -hmm. i think that's probably the bigger thing is they take less Less money money. yeah yeah yeah.
0: and um and so we prefer them they don't say this out publicly because it's it's illegal to to,
1: to
0: Mm -hmm. use ageism but but that um it, it makes some sense on some level, but they discard the fact that see, I worked when I was a young man on Taxi and I worked great with David Lloyd. I uh, David Lloyd was, was so cool. Mm-hmm. He was so funny and smart and fun, fun to be around. I had no problem with the fact that he could have been my grandfather.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: He wasn't like my grandfather. My grandfather wasn't that funny, witty, mm-hmm. brilliant writer. And so I got along great with David Lloyd. I got along great with Jim Brooks and Ed. Well, Ed Weinberg was kind of confrontational and difficult, so it was kind Mm -hmm. of hard for anybody along with Ed Weinberg. But that
1: could have been at any age, right? I mean, it doesn't if you're confrontational and difficult.
0: But that's what I I think. They should talk to people who have the experience. Talk to us about it. Yes, young people can work with older people if older people are cool. Person is the kind of person who will say, Hey, sit up straight. You're not know, sitting up straight. Of course, you don't want to work with that guy. That is your grandfather. Your right. Father. Yeah. But, but we were just like them. You know, they want to drink a lot of coffee and get hyper to write these jokes. You know, some did drugs. I never did, but, but, some, you know, there are people who did, you know, did Coke or something. And it wasn't a lot on Taxi. Taxi was a pretty clean show. So it mm-hmm. was cheers. Yeah. We really, you know, I, I didn't really see any drugs in, in those shows, but I've, we're in other shows where people might have used something
1: I just had a question about cheers because is is that not a live working bar or is that those are fake because you can't deliver those lines all the time and be drinking throughout the show you get I would get tired I mean if, if I drank all oh, I, don't, I, I, would, I drink would drink in years drink but yeah. oh
0: yeah they're drinking tea Oh, okay okay yeah 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 and I, but I did anything carbonated I mean if, if to, yeah it's all fake there, no nobody was drinking real real liquor no it okay. was a working bar there was a there was a uh, a tap so you could do near beer you know that beer mm-hmm. that's not has no alcohol right think, so the taps worked and things worked so it all looked authentic but none of it was real alcohol
1: but i heard during the finale that they were all drinking on the show so there
0: was probably i don't know people didn't talk about it. sam simon used to take a coke can and dump out all the coke and pour bourbon or something i don't remember what his favorite drink alcohol was he pour something in there that he really wanted yeah and he'd walk around on the stage with a can of coke drinking from it and nobody ever said anything he was drinking alcohol
1: but was he not he wouldn't get belligerent or anything or oh he got
0: belligerent all the time <laughs> that was his nature though so nobody nobody thought it was a liquor oh okay he never got stat you know staggering drunk you know it was never a drunk yeah he just liked to have a little alcohol when he was on the stage to calm him down. I guess because there's a lot of pressure sure. when you're shooting because when you shoot with a live audience and the audience doesn't laugh. When when you're doing when you're not doing a live audience and you write something, they just shoot it. Yeah, because that's it. When you have a live audience and you shoot it and the audience doesn't laugh, you don't put it in the can. Everybody has to gather and, and rewrite that scene. On your feet, standing, right. Oh, there. really? On the spot, right on the spot. You got to write the fix those jokes that didn't work. Fix that the dramatic moment that didn't it didn't take, and it's a lot of pressure. Quick, right now, right now. And the audience is sitting there, so you can't take a long time. Plus, all the people on the show are, are are getting paid by the hour. Everybody except the you know the the bubble line people, the actors, the the writers, the directors. We're getting our you know our fees, but yeah, we're getting hourly pays and they go into golden time and, and uh, something, something else more that's more than golden time where they're paying three times what the normal per hour mm-hmm. or whatever. So you're under the pressure of getting it done. Mm-hmm. And you, the audience isn't gonna sit there forever while you're trying to think of better. So you're thinking of jokes fast in place of those jokes that don't work. And you're thinking of the, the dramatic, and then you feed those lines to the director who feeds them to the actors. And then you reshoot the thing right in front of the audience. So I always wanted to do single camera because you just write the best thing you think you could write. It seems to be good. Everybody thinks it works. So you just shoot the thing and nobody's, you don't have those judges. You don't have the the 300 judges in the stands telling you it didn't work. So you have to fix it right now on the, on the spot.
1: That's interesting. So. That's something that I didn't know too much about. I mean, um... So is that would David Lloyd be around for those moments? Is is that a no? So (laughs) the the one guy that didn't want
0: to do those things. So David only one night a week when we're sitting in the office with the with the nice food and the yeah okay and and he could drink a beer there if he wanted. Um, um, yeah, no, he didn't do those. Those were the hardest. The thing, the only thing I don't think I ever enjoyed was that instant rewriting on the spot on the set in front of an audience and then would shoot the thing again. And now the audience would hear new lines and they go, where the, where the fuck did those lines come from? Mm -hmm. And all these actors had thought up some new stuff. You know, they always thought it was the actor. You know, it's amazing how many people think the actors write their own stuff. Right. Um,
1: But in terms of the actors, like they have to, deliver that line as if they'd already rehearsed it you know because they're also under a lot of pressure to make sure that that
0: line delivers because they don't want to start the whole process over again right yeah you give them a new line or sometimes there would be several lines set up they got to memorize those lines instantly Mm -hmm. they got to block it the director has to block it for the cameras and if there's some different movement or the timing is different on the joke right all people are just are just under the gun it's a shooting a live show is a terrible thing i did not (laughs) like that that's the only thing i didn't like about about television shooting a live show was very stressful um very stressful
1: i guess now is a good time to tell the audience that we're going to be shooting live next week so they should stay tuned in and (laughs) enjoy the podcast then right yeah so that actually shows your the heightened level of professionalism at that time it's like you're you're because you have to keep it's not just is it just the joke and you you you're not restructuring the story or is it did you have to sometimes restructure the story as well under those moments
0: usually it was just fixing lines usually mm-hmm. it was a dramatic line that didn't work or a comedic line mostly comedic lines mm-hmm. that didn't get laughs um very little actual restructuring. You know, sometimes you had to restructure scenes. Sometimes you could tell the scene wasn't working or the joke or the drama you're trying to add requires mm-hmm. some restructuring of the scene. So it was just, it was instant writing under a lot of pressure with everybody looking at you. The network's there, the studio's there, the, your bosses are there, the executive producers are there. And this line that you thought was gonna work Donnie doesn't laugh too hard. Mm-hmm. Shit, here we go. Yeah, it's the worst time. Everybody's watching us. Everybody's, you know, we're on the spot now. Now, when we do this replacement line and we run it, if Donnie doesn't laugh again, everybody's really going to be upset because now you're now you've wasted a lot more time and you got to do it again. And uh, that's a hard. That's the hardest part of it. And, and I never liked it. Never liked doing the show. Would it be the, sometimes about the show? The one thing I liked about the show was the stuff that did work? Yeah, the laugh stuff you wrote that, that it did work, the laugh felt good, the drama, but you always knew you probably aren't going to get through that scene without a couple things not working, and then you mm-hmm. got to think instantly mm-hmm. of, of what to put in there.
1: Was it sometimes the delivery like that? It just wasn't, you know, how like you can have an inflection or you can. Mm-hmm have an attitude that really sells the joke. If you missed that mark or the timing of it, you know, would you have Sometimes to- Sometimes
0: it was that. Sometimes yeah. it was the actor didn't deliver the line right. Mm-hmm. Or, um, um, but most often, cause we had already done rehearsals. So we, the actors knew how to deliver the lines. They knew what line we wanted to deliver. Mm-hmm. So, but somebody might say, when well, the audience didn't laugh. Maybe we had always thought, maybe it would work better this other way with a different attitude mm-hmm. and you can just pitch an attitude that would be an easier fix, you know? Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Mary Lou, instead of saying this, like you're angry at him, say it like you're teasing him, mm-hmm. uh, you know? And she's like, okay, I got it. And you do the same line again with a different attitude. That's an easy fix. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Usually they were the line. This joke does not work. All I right. does not think this is funny. Wow. Connect with them for some reason. We connected with ourselves. We thought it was funny when we wrote it. We thought we were very careful to present the best joke we could present, not just any joke. Mainly it was jokes. Mm -hmm. A joke did not work. The moment you expected a laugh did not get a laugh, and Mm -hmm. you got to do it. You got to do it again.
1: And I was going to, I wanted to ask you a question too about um, associates, because you were saying that was done in front of a live audience. Mm -hmm. Um, But I th- were we? W- did you say that there was like an animal mishap or something like that on one of those shows? Yeah, and- one
0: time. Yeah, w- w- I didn't actually see it because I wasn't. It wasn't my show, but they were shooting on a stage right next door to us. So I, I just learned about it. That yeah, this guy gets in the back seat of a of a cab, and he he's going. Sh- he wants to share the cab with the person who has the cab,
1: mm-hmm. and when
0: he gets in there, it's an ape. Okay. I a orangutan or a chimpanzee. I don't remember which it was. A live was one. A like, joke. Right. I, that the, the, the cab driver was supposed to deliver this ape to some address. Mm-hmm. But then what happened when the guy got in there and there were lines and stuff between the cab driver and the, and the actor. The ape hated this guy for some reason and attacked him and, and, and was hurting the guy. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> there's a live audience and there's a guy screaming and trying to get out of a cab It's on a set. It's not a real cab with the doors aren't don't even open. I, I don't remember now. We literally had them one only one door open because the other one wasn't even was set whether the camera was there or whatever. Right. It just this guy couldn't get couldn't get past the ape out of it. <laughs> it was just beating the shit out of it. Oh man, that's crazy. And, and uh, I imagine that guy sued. Maybe there's a maybe you sign something when you when you're doing a scene with an animal that, that takes the studio. That seems off. crazy it, though. I Never heard the end of it, but I know this guy didn't, wouldn't shoot the scene then. Wouldn't when they calmed the ape down and they wanted to shoot it again, wouldn't do it.
1: Yeah, was he badly hurt, or was he like you know, because apes uh, didn't.
0: Was it an ape or was it a, was a chim- it was, chimpanzee? I think it, was, I think it was an orangutan. Those things are crazy strong, though. Yeah. Yeah. Very strong. Very strong animal, yeah.
1: And that's crazy. So, you would think, like, you know, what if, what if the audience didn't laugh, you know, like, people thought and they had to, like, do it over again, you know? You they to... were
0: laughing. I <laughs> really? thought, thought that was the show. <laughs> and that was a bigger laughs than anything else in the show. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Did that have anything to do with why I got the canceled? Man or anything? The man
0: wasn't serious hurt. I mean, there was no ambulance called or anything like that. Right.
1: So, oh, Okay. So,
0: so the man wasn't serious right? They might have bit him a little bit, might have um, probably got squeezed him and, and knocked him over. I mean, they they swing and they hit you hard. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> you just like beat up like a bar fight. That is you know? crazy. That is but, wild. Um, it's, it's it's funny. We we had. We didn't have many animals on the show. We'd have something like, we'd have, we had a scene where um, where they were all stuck in a cabin somewhere, and, and they had a wild turkey. And this damn turkey we got just would not stop shitting on, on the stage. Mm. You know, and you're just going, oh, man, how much can this bird do? Yeah. You know, and, and, you, know you have things like that. Working with animals is, is kind of a drag, because well dogs are easy. Dogs yeah easy. Cats don't do anything. Um if some of these wilder animals that you want because they're funnier or more interesting. Right. More difficult.
1: Yeah. I mean that's the old adage, right? Like never
0: work with children or animals, right? That's like the Yeah, it is it. Yeah. I think I'd rather work with animals, you know. Yeah, really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's hilarious. Um, but yeah, we were we were with kids and animals and it was interesting um we once had a full-size horse there's a was an episode where jim rescues a horse he he um he goes to a race and he bets on this horse and the horse wins and in his gratitude to the horse he buys the horse and gives it its freedom right horses wants to follow him so it comes back to the garage and and jim lets it live in his apartment with him a horse a full-size mm-hmm. horse is living in his apartment mm-hmm. kind of like laverne and shirley pushing up the stairs right i guess we did that too because we had this full-size horse yeah there you go That's and you're uh, like oh it's
1: working for them you know we might as well it, throw this horse in there
0: uh, yeah we gotta do it but um the horse dies jim jim in, in jim's bed jim oh okay horse living in the bed. he feels sorry he he's he, he changed the horse's name to something like Bob or something or, or, or Dave or something. The horse's name was like uh, uh, by a nose. You know how mm-hmm. they have all the squeals. Right, right, right. Yeah. For the horse that was the horse's slave name. He, <laughs> renamed, name. he, yeah. he renamed it Daryl or something. Yeah. And let the horse live with him. And everybody said, Jimmy, can't let a horse live with you. And then it was a, the horse died in, in his bedroom. And there's this whole scene where Jim does a eulogy for the horse. It's really touching. Hmm. It was it was funny and sad. Uh, Glenn and Les Charles wrote it, and it's one of my favorite pieces of Taxi. Jim is so sincere in his eulogy for this horse, and it's really was it was a beautiful thing about how the horse used to run and win these races, it was once a great horse. And then it, it's running as hard as it ever ran, but now all the other, other horses are passing it mm-hmm. and the horse can't understand why it's still running as hard as it ever ran, but it's getting older and horses don't understand about getting older. And he's doing this whole thing, it's just beautiful. And then mm-hmm. and the horse died and he, he uh, you know, he says a prayer for something for the horse. I don't remember exactly what it was, but I just remember it was very touching. He mm-hmm. you for a horse. That's very interesting. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I know he um, had that episode where he saved the Great Dane, you know, which
0: is the that horse. That was and yeah, dogs. yeah, Alex did that. Save the Great Dane, where yeah. the guy yeah. oh, was abusive. Oh, Jim.
1: I'm sorry. Dane. Yeah, yeah. Sorry.
0: Yeah, you were the, yeah. The other yeah. one was Jim. Yeah. With the horse. I mean, you know, Alex would never do anything with the horse, but. Right, right, right. He did save the Great Dane, Dane from a, a guy who was abusive with him. Right. Um, we didn't have any trouble with that. We didn't have any trouble with the horse. The only trouble, I don't think the only trouble was, was the, uh, the active bowel of the turkey. Yeah. And the, um, and this, this ape that would beat up the guy in the, yeah. But unfortunately that wasn't one of our shows. It was somebody else's show. So we just got to laugh about it. Yeah. So, That's crazy. I don't know how they did it When the guy wouldn't do the scene again, I don't know how they did. It. They had to rewrite something. I don't know. Maybe he was outside of the cab then. Maybe the digital lines out of the cab after that. I mean,
1: yeah. I mean, I could see that the, you know, I could see, you know, you're just terrified. You don't know if this animal is going to, because it had that strong reaction that first time. You don't know.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, the, the animal was probably scared too. Here, suddenly this guy enters. It's t- it's already in tiny space mm-hmm. in this backseat of a fake cab. It's only smaller than a cab because it's only part of a cab. Yeah. And then another creature enters your space. And, yeah, and I don't know why somebody weren't... The Wrangler should have had some sense that his animal might go a little nuts. hmm mm-hmm. um, Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, it's funny getting beat up by an orangutan on your on an award-winning show, you know. Yeah, well, and then that- you got
1: to drive down Sunset, you know what I mean? And you're like, <laughs> you know, this is my day, you know, that kind of thing. You know, or going on Santa Monica, Boulevard or whatever. Yeah, that's a pretty pretty incredible well, I think, it's really a fun experience and so
0: I, I like i'm saying some of the bad things about it you know that like actually a, sounds like one of
1: the cool there. things to be honest with you you know oh. what i mean because that's a story that's a story within a story you know yeah yeah uh, well yeah. it's fun
0: for everybody who wasn't inside the right back with, with the animal you know but it's
1: definitely memorable yeah i mean that's one of those crazy crazy stories that you know i mean you heard about it and you're you're next door so
0: yeah, i wasn't even there but everybody was talking about it because it was such a and if you were laughing when they're talking about, it, at the time, probably people were scared because they didn't know what the what was going on in the back when right. he all over the guy. But but what a the guy! You know, he, he probably learned his that, that actor studied those lines, mm-hmm. get just right. He just he gets in the back, and the first thing that happens is his animal attacks him. Right. Yeah, that's crazy. That's that um. Yeah, that was a memorable thing. We also had, we had memorable things with our animals. Like, for example, uh, one time we couldn't find the Andy Kaufman and we were ready to start the show and Andy Kaufman had been there and now he's nowhere near, nowhere in the States. They're checking every, his dressing room, the the, the uh, conference room, everything. There's no Andy Kaufman and the show was supposed to start 15 minutes ago and we don't know what to do. And, and somebody got the idea that said, go check his car. Well, She was cars here. You know, I mean, Mm -hmm. what? When Andy drove away, where would he go? Mm -hmm. When the show's starting, they go to the car and Andy was meditating in his car. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: And when they said, Andy, the show is late because you're sitting out here, Andy was cool from his meditation. He said, Okay. (laughs) (laughs) He just got out of the car and came and did his stuff. Yeah, so we had our experience. One time we had. Well, I, I say, you know, you might have to cut this part out. One, one time, one of our characters came in drunk mm-hmm. or, or high on, I don't know what his problem was. He was, he was intoxicated. He was under the influence. Mm-hmm. He couldn't do his lines. And, uh, and the executive producer, this was before I was running the show, the executive producer said to me and Barry Camp, who were both writers on the staff, but not running the show, go rewrite this quickly, write him out of every scene he's in. Mm. And the audience is here. So you got like 10 minutes to do it. To do it. Mm-hmm. And meanwhile, they're giving this actor coffee and walking him all over this outside in the cooler air and trying to get him sober up and finally said, when they finally told him, uh, you know, to our writers are now writing you out of this episode. He mm-hmm. sobered up real fast. Oh, really? Yeah, it's amazing. I don't. I don't believe it was fake at all. It's just somehow the shock mm-hmm. can can maybe bring you back. And he sobered up real fast, and he did the original one. Barry and I were kind of annoyed because we had written a really good <laughs> revert, uh revision of of it without him under mm-hmm. the gun. And yeah, we kind of want to see it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When we get back to the stage, they're they're already setting up to shoot. The original again, so a lot of interest. You know, interesting things happen. Um, yeah, um, like the, that. Uh, clearly, I want to say some. Sam Simon was not a drunk. Sam Simon right. was not an alcoholic. Yeah, but he just liked. He wanted to have a little alcohol because of the pressure. I told you the pressure under, and it made him. It relaxed him a little bit. Yeah, so it's like the, it took a little bit But it he, wasn't. It wasn't non-functioning. Wasn't yeah, 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 he wasn't non-functioning at all. So. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, so we'll we'll say goodnight. You go take care of your chickens and and watch that rooster that's gonna sneak up behind you.
1: Yeah, it's time to say happy birthday to
0: somebody. And yeah, we'll say happy birthday to um, scumbags Roger. everywhere. Okay, Roger works. <laughs> <All right. laughs> no, I like scumbags. <laughs> happy birthday to scumbags everywhere, and you know who you are. So. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't mean you don't get a good birthday. You know what I mean? But yeah, yeah we're, we're we're we are still wishing you a happy birthday all right so
1: happy birthday scumbags and um yeah so, right. so i'll um, see you next
0: week erito